you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to Psalm chapter 19 this morning. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. We will read that in just one second. Welcome, welcome. I want to um, express gratitude, especially to the uh, deacons, for helping us on a cold and a very, very icy morning. Thank you, men, for serving in that way. It's warm and cozy in here. I am glad that you are here. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Tom Boger, and um, just just wanted to extend. We're giving Pastor Tim the day off. He did um, send his love and his greetings to each of you. <clears throat> we might as well just ride this as long as we can, right? I, I, I love <laughs> Seth. Was, I was chatting with him this week. He said, hey, Dad, I read that article um, in the newspaper, he said this, I love how God keeps you humble. <laughs> he is becoming more wise in his old age. I know that you just sat down, but our focus this morning is on the, obviously on the Lord, but it's also on the word. Um, he spoke to us. So what we're going to do as we read, I'm going to invite you to stand. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when scripture was read publicly, they stood together. And so I am going to read. You can follow along. I believe the words will be um, in front of you. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servants warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Would you remain standing and bow your heads and pray with Father, we do come to you, directly to you as our holy and heavenly Father in heaven, in the name and through the work, the accomplished work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for um, the words that you have given to us and the reminder this morning that they are perfect, that we, your children, your servants, have been warned. And Lord, our desire is that we would align our lives to live according to your commandments, your word, your precepts, your rules, your testimony. Father, we do not, and we confess, we do not have the strength in and of ourselves, the means to do that. And so we ask together with one voice for the work of the Holy Spirit to give us the means, the ability to be obedient, to be submissive, to surrender to your authority. Lord, help us to to stop 
um, our ears to the many, many lies and distortions that exist in this world and help us to hear the truth from you. Lord, this morning I, I would ask that you would give me the strength that I need to speak only your words, the very words, the oracles of God. Please, God, um, equip me. Please guard my mind and my mouth from distraction. May everything that is done together right now for, for you would, would bring glory to the name of Jesus. We ask this in his strong name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, the delights of technology while traveling a couple weeks ago, um, I was able to listen to Pastor Stewart, who stood in this very place um, on New Year's Eve day uh, morning, and he preached. I, I told him he had, it, he had it easy. He only had to preach one time that day, break him in slow. Um, he was preaching, if, if you recall, on Revelation chapter 2, a letter that was written to the church at Ephesus and how, how the Ephesians, it says, had, had abandoned or lost their first love. And he challenged all of us. Uh, and he says this, and I quote, we need to guard against that. We need to guard against losing our first love. Pastor Stewart says, we must test and challenge our doctrine in our life and culture around us. And then he goes on to, to say that the greatest doctrinal challenge in our society today is the truthfulness and sufficiency, asking, is Scripture enough? He said, and I quote, how can we believe in a 2,000-year-old book? How can we believe this old book giving us answers for life today, end quote. Let me say that I thank him for that challenge, for the Lord speaking through him to me, to all of us. And I love how the Holy Spirit connects the dots. You see, uh, Pastor Stewart didn't see my notes for today. And yet I had planned months ago to begin this series over the next five weeks um, to embark on a doctrinal study. Now, before you roll your eyes like, oh, come on, oh, brother. Let, let me remind you, the word doctrine is defined as this, a particular principle, a position or policy that is taught or advocated. Doctrine is, in a sense, what we believe and what we teach at Big Woods Bible Church, but also, even larger than that, what we, as a church, alongside of other evangelical churches, believe regarding foundational, fundamental doctrines about the Word of God, about the work of God, salvation offered by faith in Jesus Christ, the gift of His grace. What do we believe of, of how we and why we do everything for the glory of God? We're going to look over these next five weeks uh, what identifies biblical Christianity as unique from every other faith and belief system and religion that is in this world. Have you ever thought about this question? Somebody asks you what church you go to or, or ask you a question. Have you ever thought, like, what makes us different than the Catholics or the Charismatics? Like, why, why are we gathering here and, and lighting candles on behalf of the souls of, of beloved ones, supposedly in, in purgatory? Why don't we do those things? 
Why are we not like the Hindus or the Muslims or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness? What, what, have you ever thought about the question, like, how, how do we get to this place? How do we get to this p- particular position or understanding? You see, these are very important questions to ask. And we have to understand it's no shock or surprise because we live today in an age of what is referred to as secularism. We live in an age of relativism, of universalism, of inclusiveness. Uh, we live in an age where we oftentimes hear this, why can't we all just, just coexist? Many, many, many people believe that there are many paths to God. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and as long as we are sincere... Right? Then, then God will love us. God will accept us regardless. You, you can be assured that that kind of thinking in this present age today of, of corruption and false teaching, you can be assured what? That's not new. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and there was this first lie that was whispered, you shall not surely die. So what has happened since the serpent, since Satan whispered that lie in Genesis chapter 3, since that time there have been falsehoods. There have been twists and dishonesties and deceptions intentionally trying to distort or disrupt the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. This past October the 31st to be precise, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of what is referred to as the Protestant Reformation. What is that? It's a time, perhaps, and you've heard bits and pieces of this before in history class, that a former Augustinian monk, he was a German, he had become a a professor at the University of Wittenberg, Wittenberg, he was, he was pastor at large at All Saints Church or the Castle Church. His name was Martin Luther and, and he had been a monk. It says that he had fulfilled all the requirements. He had lived a cloistered life. He participated in prayer and fasting and he lived a Spartan lifestyle. But it says that he carried everything to such extreme that his superiors were actually worried about them about him. He he would go to his confessor and he would literally he would literally wear out his confessors with marathon sessions of confessing, going over every single thought in detail, and then when he got to the end, he would start back at the beginning again. He had studied scripture. He'd studied that the righteous shall live by faith. He had read in Romans chapter three that all Sin, all fall short, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption in Jesus. He had read and studied. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We are not under the law, but under grace. He had read these things, and there was a conflict. There was a war going on with his soul. What he had been taught by the Catholic Church and what he was reading in Scripture. He was wearing, literally wearing his confessors out. One of them, Father Stalpitz, said this, and I quote, look here, if you expect Christ to forgive you, come in with something to forgive, parasite. That's the murdering of your parents or relatives. 
come in with blasphemy or adultery instead of all of these picadillos. In a sense, he had completely exasperated. He had confessed and confessed and confessed. And there's a sense that what? I'm not doing enough. And so what he did is he listed 95 theses or 95 points of discussion. Let's gather together and, 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 and discuss these, talk about these so-called traditions and why they do not align according to the truth of Scripture. They're written in Latin and with a mallet, he nailed them to the very front door of the church. And it was at that moment, at that moment, the Reformation was just what ignited. You see, the Reformers were both men and women that were shaped by a book. You see, they looked at the book. They, they studied the book. They memorized the book. And there was a, a rediscovery of essential Christian truths in the book, the Bible, that changed the course of history. They are referred to today as the five solas. So what are them as we introduce this study? Let me, let me, let me give it to you. The word sola is Latin and it simply means alone. If you sing a solo, you come up here and you sing what? By yourself. There's no one else up here with you. You're alone. There are five solas and they are five theological summaries that emerged, that that were birthed out of the Protestant Reformation that distinguished between what theological beliefs from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that together constitute five foundational doctrines that unite all evangelical Christians to this day. Remove any one of them. Take any one of them away and you cannot be on the same page of the gospel. You cannot be. They are five basic foundational doctrinal principles. Remove one and you're not on the same page. They are what? Sola Scriptura, Sola Christos, Sola Fidi, Sola Gratia, and Sola Deo Gloria. This, this study as we examine, I, I'm not here to like, let's cause as much division as we can. I'm not here for that reason. It is important because as we move forward as a church, fulfilling the vision that God has given to us in this community, we will inevitably bump up against other belief systems that are out there. And so this is not a purpose to cause division. It's simply to acknowledge what? That there are legitimate theological differences that do exist. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that. A couple weeks ago, we were waiting over in um, the Holy Land, and we were waiting as a small group uh, to go into um, what is referred to as the Mount of Beatitudes, a a convent or a monastery that is there. And so we were waiting outside. They were at their, their nap time, so we couldn't bother them on their nap time, their afternoon siesta. So we were waiting outside to go up to uh, this mount where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, beautiful place overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And while we were waiting in this small group, there was a dozen, 14, 16 of us, we met, we bumped into two young men who were studying for the priesthood. They had little collars on. Uh, They had finished their formal um, training, and they were now on their pilgrimage uh, before they entered the priesthood. They were from Indiana, so they were Hoosers. And as we talked to them, they were the most polite, they were the most 
pleasant to talk to. They were respectful in every way. They were enjoyable to talk to. They had an energy about them, an excitement about what they had been called to do. In our dialogue, in our discussion, someone asked this question, well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? And they're like, absolutely. And so automatically you hear that and like, <laughs> they wear a collar, we don't, but we all believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? Well, they believe that, but they also believe you can't sit for 30 minutes and have a conversation with two priests without bringing up the subject of transubstantiation. It has to come up. And so it came up. I'm like, I got a question. That's the idea that when we what, eat the, the, the bread, it actually becomes the literal body of, of Jesus. And when we drink the cup, it actually becomes the literal blood. It's like, we don't see that in scripture. And so we were talking about that. And like, no, 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 it, it does. And they believe that doctrine. So you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Yes. And we also believe, as we listen to them, that you must be baptized in order to go to heaven. We don't see that in scripture. And as we were dialoguing with them, as they, as priests, will offer the Eucharist to their parish, those in their church, that they actually become Christ in that moment. And I was like, excuse me, Christ is sinless? You aren't, neither am I. No, 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 we become Christ. Automatically, there's differences here automatically there's differences. We have to recognize that. We have to acknowledge that. We have to accept the fact that the 16th century, 500 years ago, like today, was an age of corruption and an age of false teaching. So what did the Protestant reformers do? They returned to the scriptures. They found that the way of salvation is in this word alone, not indulgences, not, not relics, okay? Not, not superstitions. They re- rediscovered that the, the, the way of salvation is explained wholly, completely in this word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The five solas were therefore in attempt to summarize biblical teaching on salvation. That, that God makes us alive, that, that God is what is completely for us. Although we are sinners, what? By God's grace alone. On the basis of Christ alone, received through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed by what? Scripture alone. Scripture alone as the only final decisive authority on truth. And that's where we will begin this morning. Sola Scriptura. By Scripture alone is what it means. Sola Scriptura. By Scripture alone. You introduce someone to Big Woods and you tell them about our church. You tell them, look at our website. That's how we, in a sense, present ourselves in the community often. The first, first thing that people ever, ever, ever hear, they go to the website, bigwoods.org. It's really simple. You can direct people there. And at the very top, it says about us. Now, if you click that little tab about us, there's another little tab that says what we believe. And it starts with number one. Let me read to you what it says on our website. 
okay, about us, what we believe. Number one, we believe that the Bible is the word of God and is our final authority for faith, for life, and practice. We believe that, which means the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice for us. That was important to the reformers to articulate because the Catholic Church said that equal authority could be invested in the words of the Pope. The Pope, who supposedly became what? Sinless, became like Christ, completely sinless. And yet we don't see that in Scripture. We know that after um, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the, day, on, on the door of the church at Wittenberg, there was, what, an opportunity to discuss them. In 1517, over the next four years, things became rather heated as a parish priest. Uh, Stephen Nichols wrote a great book called The Reformation, How a Monk and a mallet changed the world. Let me, let me pick up and just read a little bit what happened a couple years later, 1521. It says, during this time, 1517 to 1521, the rift between Luther and the Pope grew. The Pope excommunicated him, kicked him out of the Catholic Church, calling him a wild boar. Luther returned by calling the Pope the Antichrist. The showdown came at the Diet of Worms in the spring of 1521. Expecting a debate, Luther was instead asked two questions. Pointing to the heap of writings before him on the table, Luther's accusers asked him if these were his writings. He said, yes. Then he was asked to recant. Luther took a day to think about it. The next day, Luther once again stood before this impressive gathering of church and civil officials and was again asked to recant his writings. Boldly, he proclaimed, and I quote Martin Luther, Since then, your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict themselves, I am bound to the scriptures. I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Luther's answer expresses the Reformation plank of sola scriptura. Scripture is the authority for the church and it alone is the word of God. So so what is happening here? throughout this brief history lesson this morning, is that what, what Luther and what Calvin and Zwingli and Wycliffe and, and other reformers wanted to make absolutely clear is that the scriptures were always our primary source of authority, always. And everything else, any council that has, has met, any creed that has been set forth, any dream anyone has at best, at best, is a secondary source to what the scriptures have to say. The reformers 
wanted everyone to understand that the scriptures alone, the word of God is sufficient for salvation and for spiritual life. They had meaning and purpose 500 years ago and they still hold meaning and purpose for us today. So as Protestants, which we are, we acknowledge the fact that the canon, which was referred to as the, the measuring stick, the standard, the canon of scripture is closed. We're not adding to it or taking from it. We understand that, that the scripture is complete, that the revelation of God's character as revealed through his written word stands. If anyone were to come to us and say that an angel appeared to me or God told me this in a dream, wonderful, wonderful, we will hear it as long as it matches the authority of the word of God. I have had men, husbands, young husbands, come up to me. They have been in a season of, of struggle in their marriage. And they have made the statement, God has told me that I need to learn to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And I begin applauding. Praise God. I'm glad that you understood. That's what God spoke to you because that's exactly, go, do that, go, do that, bless you. I've also had other men, husbands, who are in seasons of struggle in their marriage, and they have made this statement to me. God has told me that I should divorce my wife because I married the wrong person, and I should marry someone else. My response is garbage. Hogwash. It's the Greek word, hooey, fooey, is what it is. It's not, it, it is what? It absolutely is nonsense because that completely contradicts what the truth of God, God's word has to say. Jen Wilkins says it best and I quote, said it. Beth, she says this, Sola Scriptura guarded against error 500 years ago and it does so today as well. We owe the reformers a great debt for putting into words and into practice this principle. So here it is. Here is the word of God. There are 66 books. There are 39 Old Testament. There are 27 New Testament books. It is the verbally inspired word of God. It is completely authoritative. It is infallible. It is inerrant. Scripture alone clearly teaches every single thing that is necessary for salvation from sin. It is sufficient for us that God requires us in this word what we should obey what we should listen to and what we should not listen to. It is everything that we need on how we are to live the Christian life today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift. It means there's nothing you can do. Every, every single religion in this world says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, in order to hope for salvation. Biblical Christianity through the word of God says what? It's done. Done. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 17 says that all scripture, every word of it, is given by inspiration of God, is profitable, is useful for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. All of it. Deuteronomy, it says in chapter 4, Revelation chapter 22 says, You do not add to this word 
or you do not take from this word. Why is it that the Mormons have their own Bible? Why is it that the Jehovah's Witness had to come up with another Bible? Why is it that the Catholics have another Bible? Why is it that the Muslims have another Bible? We don't add and we don't take away. What we do, okay, as believers, is first and foremost we pick it up every single day. Husbands, lead your wives. Pick up this word and read. Fathers, lead your families. If you're a single mom, then mom, pick it up every day and you are to read it. Why? What do we go through in Psalm chapter 19? We return. Number one, the Bible transforms you. Literally. The Bible makes you different than what you used to be. The Bible, what? The messenger of the gospel, the good news, takes the old and allows it to pass away and what all things become new. That's what the gospel does. That's what the word of God does. That's what the Bible does. You were sick, now you are healed spiritually. You were blind spiritually, now you can see. Saul the terrorist becomes Paul the, the missionary church planter. Why? Because he was obedient to the word of God. You and I move from sinner to saints. Not, not, not perfect. We're still sinners, but we are forgiven. We are adopted into the family of God. That is grace. We have a vision statement. We're not changing that. Vision statement is what? We build relationships so that what? Lives are transformed, they're changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a couple of years, we're not going to have to come up with, like, I don't know about this whole gospel thing. Maybe we've got to do something else. We're not going to add to it. We don't detract from it. Well, we are to have, what, full confidence in the power and the authority of this word. Hebrews chapter 4 says, what, this, this word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it, what, pierces the division of the soul and the spirit. You and I don't have the ability to do that, but God's word has the ability. The Bible transforms you. Number two, the Bible gives you wisdom. Look what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I cannot think of anything that is more that, that we are in need of more in this world than wisdom, and specifically godly wisdom, wisdom from above. My dear brother, I meet with and pray with regularly, Jay Gaunt, whenever I ask him, Jay, what is it that I can pray for you? At the top of his list, every single time, I need wisdom. I need more wisdom. And and I would would say that, that my brother is a wise man to even say that, and yet he still hungers for more wisdom. That, that's exactly God's word, gives us wisdom, makes wise the simple. What is that? Where does it come from? James chapter 3, 17 says what? It's wisdom from above. Well, what does it look like? Wisdom from above is first pure, an indication of whether or not you are allowing the word of God, the spirit of God to make you wise. The word of God is first pure. Wisdom from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable. There's a description here. It goes on. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. The list is long. All of that is what God offers wisdom from above through his word. Thirdly, we know that the Bible brings you 
joy. It says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's something that just, is wow, I, I didn't have that before. I read the testimony this week of um, James McDonald. He pastors at Harvest outside of Chicago. And he says this as part of his testimony. I quote, the joy that comes from God's word summarizes my own life. He says, I was a stupid, foolish, pot-smoking, rebellious teenager. And the first big change in me came when I gave the Bible a chance. And God's word gave me a joy like I had never experienced before. Isn't it interesting that in a world that is filled, you cannot, you, you cannot talk with, with anyone today who is an unbeliever without sensing some degree of discontentment, of questioning, of searching. And there is a world, what we are surrounded by people who are just, frankly, miserable. There's no joy. They just stamp one day to the next, to the next, to the next, and they're hoping for something. The followers of Jesus' day who walked with him, what, the very, the very moment after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. And, and later on, they are asked about this, like, what, what happened? What was it like? And they described it like this when they spoke in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They, they actually said, did, did not our hearts burn within us? when he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture. Isn't that an interesting statement that as Jesus just, just resurrected, as he walked with these few followers, these disciples, that their heart began to burn within the moment he began to speak of the scriptures. I think in a sense, joy, real joy, is, is like that slow burn that's inside of us that kind of bubbles up inside of us when we realize that the word of God actually draws us close to God we get to we get to read this book and study this book memorize this book realize how many people in this world don't have access to the scriptures in their own language and yet we have what we have copies stacked up in our homes, sadly, many of them collecting dust because we're not picking it up. We know what, fourthly, that the Bible dispels darkness. It says that the commandments of the Lord is pure. Now, the translation uses the word clear. The commandment of the, of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That time in God's word reveals things that at one time you were in blindness or darkness, all of a sudden the light goes on and it begins to make sense. Life at one point for many was just like a random mass. You're here by accident. No purpose, no direction, and yet spend time in the word of God and you realize, wait a minute, I have been created in the very image of God. I'm to reflect his image that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has knit me together in my mother's womb, that there's no one else with my DNA, with my fingerprint. There's no one else. Every single one of us are unique. Every single one of us has a unique purpose. And what was at one point, like I have no idea where I am, what I'm supposed to do with my life. I have no idea where I'm going. All of that darkness and confusion becomes clear in the word of God. Marriage at some people, well, it was, it, was, it was oppressive and it was demeaning. 
This is like the hardest thing we've ever done in our entire life. And then you spend time in the word of God and you realize that marriage is a gift that God has given to us to be celebrated and enjoyed as husband and wife. That it's a wonderful, it's perfect reflection of the relationship that exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church, the bride. And, and, and what was once like horrible and dark becomes clear. Parenting. This is like absolutely impossible. Like they never do anything that I tell them. It's chaotic. Many people have this blur of like, what do I do with this? Go to the word of God. And because of clear biblical teaching and instruction, you realize what it means to discipline your child in love and to love them unconditionally. And then it's okay for you to say as a child, son, obey me because I'm your dad. But the word of God teaches and there's order and clarity and light brought into that confusion and darkness. Fifth, the Bible adds stability. It says the fear of the Lord is clean, clean, enduring forever. To fear God means more than just respect God. To to fear God means that we are to have an attitude of a heart that seeks or desires to be in right relationship with the fear source. Realize what that means, that, that I understand that God loves me enough to allow me to feel the consequences of my own stupidity or, or, or sinful, foolish decisions. That God, God, God cares enough, therefore I should what, be in fear that if I veer to the right or to the left, apart from full obedience, God's going to let me feel the sting of my stupidity. That, 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 in a sense, a fear of God allows us to, to desire what? A relationship, stability in a tempest, storm-tossed world. I don't know about you, but I need that. Clean, the word means pure, unmixed, or unblemished. It's full strength. And as a result... What is it? It's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's no end. What, what, what lasts in this world? The souls of mankind and the word of the Lord that endures forever. We need to be reminded, like a lot of what we give attention to is, is, is nothingness. And what we need to give attention to is that which lasts forever. Finally, sixthly, the Bible promises justice. It says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Rules are what? Another word that could be used is, is judgments or God's verdicts. These are, these are God's pronouncements and decisive actions that are perfectly true, that are perfectly trustworthy, and what they're not up for debate. As believers, we hear something about injustice and we should long for justice. We hear of abuse and we, sh- we should yearn, we should ache. We hear of, of murder, we hear of rape. And even in this world, if it is what? If, if there is a conviction that is brought, the sentence oftentimes is still not fair. There's still not justice. You took a life. 
And, and yet we know ultimately, we know that we should long for what God will bring. He will bring about full justice. We actually read about and learn in the word of God what he thinks about everything, what he thinks about everything and what he will do about it. You understand that? In God's word, we get a glimpse of what he thinks about every action that takes place in this world and what he will do about it. God will make things right. And be assured of this, sin will be stopped permanently. And we see that in the word of God. All of this, all of this is here. It's sufficient. It's enough. We don't add, we don't take away, pick it up. Without God's word to be what? Put into your head, into your hearts, into your hands. Read it. You put it down, pick it up and read more of it. Study it and memorize it and meditate. Believe it. Obey it. You go all the way back. The reformers wanted everyone to understand that scripture is sufficient for salvation and for spiritual life. It was, it was true 500 years ago, and it is true today. So what we believe, what we believe, like the whole big woods, like we live with a lot of trees, like that's cool, and hills and rivers, that's cool. Big woods, we're part of big woods. Let me tell you the most important part of our name is Big Woods Bible Church, our final and ultimate absolute authority for salvation and for spiritual life. Be reminded of the value of this book and why we hold to sola scriptura. Father, we love you and we thank you for um, what you have given to us, this gift of your word. God, help us to be better students. Open up our eyes and our minds and our ears to, to see and to understand and to hear what you have. God, we need your strength. Allow us to be obedient. And we ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.